you remember a couple of weeks ago, I said that uh, when you look at hymnology uh, over, the, over the years, Canaan has been used as a picture of heaven and the Jordan a picture of death and crossing over uh, into heaven. And we learned that that's, unfortunately, it sounds great, but it's wrong, okay? Because when you look at Canaan, when they enter into Canaan, there are battles, there are temptations, there are challenges, there are failures, there is doubt, there is confusion, there's all sorts of stuff. And we don't have that in heaven. At least I hope not. The Bible doesn't say that's there, okay? Uh, that would be a real bummer to get into heaven and still have to fight and still be subject to temptation and failure and our faults and, you know, all that stuff that really stink. But that's not the way heaven is. This is a picture of the abundant full life that God has for his people. And this is an example of how God works in our lives and what he wants for our lives, okay? In the person of Jesus Christ. So when we look at what's transpired up to this point, God has supernaturally, miraculously, powerfully delivered the people of Israel from bondage to slavery, oppression, pain, suffering, death, and, and just a hard life. And he delivered them out into what would be a promised land. What was a promised land? A land flowing with milk and honey, a land of blessing and fullness and fulfillment and joy and prosperity. And I'm not talking just, you know, like financial prosperity, but spiritual prosperity, growth of the family, growth of relationships, growth of a nation, growth of the things that God wanted to pour into their life. And when they got to Canaan, and God has said, I have given this to you. This is yours. All right. Now it's time to go home. Let's enter into this. But you remember the people of Israel didn't trust God, despite everything he had done for them, despite all the miraculous things, saving their life many times, providing for them, protecting them, watching over them, loving them. Despite the fact that he said, you are my treasured possession. I have set my love upon you, not because you're a great nation, you're a little people, but I set my love upon you because I love you. He said, you are my holy priesthood as a nation. You are my chosen people. And I have a wonderful future for you. One that is great and full of blessing. But when they got to Canaan and, and they saw the giants and they saw the cities and they saw the challenges, they said, we do not trust that God is going to be faithful. Even after all that he's done, we don't believe that he's going to take care of us. And we can't do it. Therefore, we're not going to do it. And you remember they told God, no, we're not going in. 
And so God said, fine. You said that I'm going to allow you to die and I'm going to let your children die. So this is what's going to happen. You're going to wander in the wilderness until this generation has died. And then I'm taking your children, the, one that, the ones that you're accusing me of going to bring to their death, I am going to bring them into the promise. I'm still going to do what I'm going to do. You have your opportunity. You don't want to do it. Okay, I'm going to give it to your children. See, Israel had some real serious issues with trusting the Lord, trying to do things in their own flesh and their own understanding. And they were dominated by fear. When they looked at the things in Canaan, they said, yeah, this is a great, great land and it's wonderful, but here's all the problems. They were afraid that God would not be there for them. They were afraid that they were going to fail. They were afraid that it was going to fall apart. They were afraid that they were going to die. They did not see God for who he is and was. And they did not see themselves through the eyes of God. Because he had already said, you are my treasured possession. You are my beloved people. You are my nation of priests. You are my chosen of people, and I am your God. That's who you are. But they looked at what was in Canaan and the obstacles, and they said, we are grasshoppers, and we are going to get crushed. They did not see God properly, even though he had revealed himself time and time again. And they did not see themselves as God declared them to be. And so many Christians fall into the same trap. See, Canaan is the promised land for us as believers. Jesus said, I have come, this is John 10, 10, that they might have life, zoe, the essence and fullness of life as God created it to be in harmony and fellowship with him, fulfilling, satisfying, wonderful, bigger than you can imagine kind of life and give it super abundantly, overflowing. And when we look at the lives of the church and believers, when I look at my own life, it's like, God, I do not see overabounding life. Why is that, Father? It's for the reasons that we see here in the book of Joshua. See, God has so much for us in relationship to him, an incredible, beautiful, powerful, intimate relationship with the I am that I am. Yeshua, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Alpha and the Omega, this wonderful, beautiful relationship with the Almighty God that he made possible through the miraculous work of the cross and the death and resurrection of the second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ, so that we could enter in to the promises of God and intimacy with God. What does he call us? Yes, that's exactly what he calls us. <laughs> he calls us beloved. 
He calls us chosen. He calls us son. He calls us daughter. He calls us bride. Who are you in Jesus Christ? Who are you in the Lord? We were talking about this in the car yesterday and Josiah brought up the the white stone that Revelation talks about and a name that only God and the recipient know. And we talked about that. It's like, all right, here, here we are in heaven and God is actually giving us a name and it's secret between us and him. Despite the fact of being in the hosts of the heavens and the magnificence and magnitude of the heavens and who God is and all the saints and angelic hosts, there is this intimate personal connection between Jesus and us that's just ours. Who are you in Jesus? You're not a grasshopper. But we need to take that. We need to embrace that. I has not seen nor hear, ear heard what God has given to those, prepared for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's what the scriptures say. Not just in our relationship with God, but in our relationship with people, in our marriages, in our families, in our workplace, in our creativity, and the things that we do, our hobbies and stuff, every facet of life. The Bible deals with not just spiritual, but day-to-day practical living. And it's all rooted in our relationship with Christ. But the thing is, so often we are like Israel in that we are scared. We don't really know if God will be there for us if we step out. We don't know if we can trust him this time. Yeah, he's proven himself a lot, but I don't know about this one. We're afraid of failure. For me, one of the things that, you know, uh, fears for me are, you know, what will people think? What if I screw it up? What if I fail? Fear of success. What happens, you know, I mean, goodness gracious, what happens if God does this and this thing comes together? Now what? The fear of the unknown. The fear of not being in control. So many things we're afraid of that holds us back from God's best and God's blessings. So Joshua is going to show us what to do. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. And after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving you to them, to the people of Israel. Okay? I am giving this to you. This is yours. Okay, it's time to go. Verse 2, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have, past tense, 
given to you, just as I promised Moses. From the wilderness and to this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Listen, I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. That means you're going to continue to speak it, meditate on it. Uh, talk about it, teach it, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I am giving you this land. Now the territory that God talks about here is much bigger than what Israel actually occupied. It was from northern Syria above Damascus to the Euphrates through Lebanon and all of that, all the way down into the Sinai Peninsula, touching Egypt, from the Euphrates and the area of Jordan the west side, or the, I'm sorry, the east side of the Jordan River, okay, the, the nation of Jordan today, all the way to the Mediterranean. More than double what they actually took. They got bogged down. They didn't keep moving with the Lord. But do you see how God says over and over to Joshua, don't be afraid? And he's going to say to the people of Israel, don't be afraid. Why? Why should I not be afraid? Because every place you put your foot, I have already given to you. And wherever you go, I am there with you. Don't be afraid. And this is what the Lord says to us. In Hebrews, I think it's chapter 12, we're reminded God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will be with you and in you. Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter 2 verses 12 and 13. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. And that word work out means to see to its conclusion like a math problem, you work out a math problem, you bring it to its conclusion, see through to the conclusion the things that God has for you, for it is God who works in you to will and to do. He gives the power. He gives the desire. And it's, Jennifer and I were talking about this and she, she, she hit it on the head. It's a dance, okay? It's like a dance. And if you went to the dance uh, a couple of weeks ago, 
um, and you've never danced before, this will, or if you if you've danced and stuff, this will make sense to you. But you know, people say, well, what about the sovereignty of God? You know, God controls everything. The book of Joshua is an intimate tandem relationship with God. And we see over and over again where God says, okay, this is your part and this is my part. This is what I'm telling you to do and this is what I'm going to do. You step into the battle, I'm going to fight for you. You do this, I'm doing that, okay? So this idea that, well, God's gonna do whatever he's gonna do, he works with us and uses us, okay? He gave the children of Israel, the first generation, the opportunity to go into Canaan. Here it is. It's yours. I'm with you. Let's go. No, we're not going. Okay. Now God in his goodness and graciousness and love says, okay, I'm still going to provide for you. I'm still going to protect you. I'm still going to care for you while you wander in the wilderness for 40 years. I'm still going to do what I'm going to do. I made a promise and I'm going to keep it. And I'm giving the people I love this land. So if you don't want it, that's fine. You've made the choice. I'm giving it to your kids. I'm still going to do what I'm going to do. Do you want to get on the bike and ride with me or not? Your call. And see, when you have a dance, you have a leader and then you have the follower. And there's that communication, you know, and when Jennifer and I were dancing and stuff, it's like, okay, sometime, you know, we're, we're learning this stuff like, you know, some of you did, you know, and we're learning, we're trying to work through it and everything. It's like, okay, I'm supposed to be the leader and I've never done this before. Okay. So I'm like thinking it through and I'm counting and stuff. And so we're dialoguing and everything, trying to work through this thing. And there were times when we were in the pocket. And we're, we're doing it, you know, and it's really good. But then I'm not communicating right or Jennifer thinks, okay, well, this is what I'm going to do. And then we start getting all, you know, cattywampus. It's like, okay, we stop. Then we go back to the basics again, you know, and we just flowed with it. And that's the way our relationship is with Christ. It's a dance. He's the leader and he knows the dance very well. But we have to be willing to follow, let him lead, and we be the follower. And as long as we follow the lead, he will guide us in the steps as we dance. And what's more beautiful than that is, he even gives us the power to do it. The Holy Spirit of the living God indwelling us so that we can dance the dance with God into the beautiful life that he has with us. And no matter how the music changes throughout life, he knows the steps and he'll lead us. All we have to do is follow. And that's what we see here in the book of Joshua. All God says is, look, this is what I've done for you. What I'm saying to you is you need to take the step. You need to walk into what I have given you. And sometimes that can be so frightening for us. Walking into the position that we're supposed to have as husbands or wives. Walking into the position that God wants us to have as parents or employers or employees or servants in the church or neighbors or whatever it may be. 
whatever sphere of life, we can be afraid to step into what God has already given us. Even though he's already said, I'm with you, I have given it to you, all you have to do is step and I'll take care of the rest. Now, in chapter 2, we have the situation where the two spies go in and Rahab. And I love the fact, see, this is, this is where the rubber really meets the road. When Israel obeyed the Lord, God did miraculous things. Even when they didn't obey the Lord, God still did miraculous things. But when they did, God moved, and it was incredible. And Rahab, when the, when the spies are there, in chapter 2, verse 9, or verse 8, I'm sorry, it says, before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof. Now, they're hiding in her house, okay? And she's a prostitute, okay? And so they're hiding there. And she said to the men, I know that the Lord, Yahweh, has given you the land. She's not a Jew. She is a heathen. She's lost. But, but, look at this. And that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt before you, away, away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of, you, uh, because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. All she has is the hearsay of what God has done in Israel's life. And she believes, she says, I know he is the God of heaven and the God of earth. And I want to be on his side. And so the, the, the um, spies say, okay, here's the deal. You take this scarlet cord and you hang it in the window. And you get all your family inside. And then when the battle comes, then your family will be saved. Okay? This goes right back to the Passover. All right? Remember? This is what's going to happen. The judgment of God is going to come into Egypt. So God says to the house of Israel, take the blood of the sacrifice, put it on the doorpost and the lentils. And when you do, the judgment of God will pass over and you and your household will be saved. Don't leave the house. So by faith and obedience to God, they put the blood of the sacrifice upon the doorpost and God passed over that judgment upon them and they were saved. Same thing with Rahab. The scarlet thread, a, pic, or a cord, a picture of the blood. Put the blood on the window, okay, if you will. Put the cord on the window. And when the judgment comes and we see the cord, the judgment will pass over your household and you will be saved. By faith, Rahab, not a follower of God, but a believer, in God. She's willing to follow him. She and her household are saved. What a beautiful picture. And the testimony that they bring back to Israel is 
God's moving and God's with us. Folks, this is a big thing. When we step into what God has for us and he's moving in our lives, people are going to see. People are going to hear. I think one of the things that we've fallen into as the church is we try to sell Jesus. We try to market Jesus. Go out there, preach the gospel. Get those tracks. And there's nothing wrong with tracks and things like that. And, you know, just boom, going up to somebody, you know, and telling them about Christ. There's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, if the Lord leads you, that's, you know, where it's going to be really successful is if God's leading you to do that. But here's the thing. People want to see the real deal, okay? We can go and say, you know what? Jesus loves you. He has a plan for your life. He wants you to be in heaven with you. He died for you. And it's so great to have him as your Lord and Savior by now. And if you act quickly, you get the Holy Spirit too. You know, it's, you know, not that kind of thing. But, you know, we try to market and sell them. We try to convince people, hey, you really need Jesus. But when they see Jesus working in our life, working through our life, seeing the changes in our life, seeing the power of God in our life, they're like, I want what you have. I want what you have. This is different. This is real. They don't want talk. They want something that they can see and touch and it's real. That's what Rahab saw. She heard about what God was doing and she says, I want a part of that. And when people see and hear what God is doing in our lives, some will say, I want a part of that. And so Israel crosses the Jordan. This is how we enter in. Chapter 3, verse 2. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and will follow it. Yet there shall be a distance of, between you and it of about 2,000 cubits, about 1,000 yards in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way to, you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Okay? So the, the command was everybody stay about 1,000 feet or 1,000 yards back so that everybody, the leaders of, of the tribes and everything, can see the ark, the presence of God, and follow. Because you've never been here before. This is new territory. So keep your eyes on the Lord and follow him, okay? You've not been this way before. So you gotta follow him. And then going over to verse 14, so the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dropped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of the harvest. So this is not just a little creek, okay? This is a really bad flood stage river, okay? And uh, it says, um, okay, verse 16, and the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarathon, and those 
following down toward the, uh, the Sea of Araba, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. And it says on dry ground, okay? So when the priests stepped into the Jordan, okay, when they crossed the Red Sea, God parted the Red Sea first, and it's like, oh, I guess there's a way. Let's go, okay? In this case now, it's like, all right, I want you to step in first, get your feet wet, and when you do, then I will move and I will stop the water. And this is a difficult thing for us. It's a difficult thing for me. My tendency is to go, okay, God, I want to see you move, and then I'll step. He's saying, no, I want you to step. Trust me that I'll move. Oh, man, we got to do it that way? Yeah, we got to do it that way. Okay, all right, and you step, boom, and God's there. We need to walk this walk by faith, okay? This life that God has for us, this abundant life, it has to be entered by faith, it needs to be taken by faith, and it needs to be walked by faith. It's all about trusting Him. He'll take care of everything. We just trust and obey, right? Like the old hymn says, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. That's our part. That's our part of the dance. And so they step in, boom, it dries, and off they go. And they take the memorial stones, and they put, take 12 out from the river, the middle of the river, and they put it on the other side as a testimony. This is what God did. But they also take 12 stones and they put them back in the river and they build a monument there, which nobody's going to see, but they know it's there and God knows it's there. And it's like, you know what? This is what God did. That remembering of God's faithfulness. And then in chapter five, two things happen. Now that they're in the land, okay, they've stepped out in faith. Two things, circumcision, okay, so the entire 40 years, this new generation has not been circumcised, all right? That is the sign of the covenant. And it's a picture of the cutting away of the flesh. And in order to take the Passover, you had to be circumcised. So the Passover was last celebrated almost 40 years before, 38 years before. And it hasn't been there. So now God's renewing the covenant with this new generation. And part of that covenant is, okay, this is not in the flesh, okay? The scriptures tell us, the New Testament tells us, we put no confidence in the flesh, but we trust in the Lord our God. In order to walk the walk of God, to walk the life that Christ has for us, it's gotta be in his power, not ours. We have to walk it. But it's not us that has the ability to do it. That's why Jesus says, you know, he shall be the Holy Spirit with you and in you. Okay, I am going to empower you from the inside out to live this full life that I've purchased for you on the cross. That's so encouraging. I don't have to rely on myself. I can't do it. And so once they were circumcised, then they were able to renew that covenant again with this new generation. The Passover is taken. The third time the Passover is taken. 
in a 40-year span, okay? It's a new life, a new beginning. This is the beginning of the new year, okay? So God's timing is perfect. So now they're in, they've renewed the covenant, and now it's time to start taking the territory. And so you look at what happens. Joshua was standing there outside of Jericho, and he's looking at it. And Jericho was formidable, okay? And here's this guy. Joshua's, are you for us or for our enemy? And I love the answer that the, the angel of the Lord says, no, I'm the commander of the Lord's host. We know that this is Jesus. And this is cool because Yeshua is talking to Yeshua, okay? The big Yeshua is saying to the little Yeshua, all right, I'm here. And God speaks to Joshua, okay? This is what I want you to do. Chapter 6. Here's the battle plan. Joshua, you've been a soldier, a commander for years. Here's the battle plan, everybody. For six days, you're going to just walk around the city and don't say a word. Don't make a sound. Okay, that's different. Seventh day. The priests are carrying the ark. They've been doing it, okay? Seventh day, seven times around. The seventh time, you blow the trumpets and you shout. And the walls will fall. And the army of Israel will go straight in to Jericho. Every man, boom, straight in. You don't have to route or anything. Now, when I was in college, I studied biblical archaeology. And the old city of Jericho... Okay, this isn't a fairy tale. The old city of Jericho, the walls fell down, but they fell from the inside out, like a flower petal, a flower thing just went. And when it fell, and it, Jericho was up on a, on a rise, and so when it fell, it built a natural ramp all the way around for the people of Israel to go straight in and to take it. God gave the victory. God did the work. All they had to do was just obey. He covered the rest. They took this mighty city. And so when this is done, God says, look, I want you to give all the spoils to me. Give everything that you take to me. Put me first. Okay, we've just entered in. We're going to start taking the land now. You're going to start taking the promises that I have for you. I want you to put me first. Give me the spoils. All right? Now, we're told that Achan found some gold and a robe, a tunic. And he said, mm, I'm going to take that. And he hid it in his tent. And so when it came to Ai, Ai was a much smaller town, city. And what we're told is that the men of Israel went to Joshua and said, look, Joshua, this is a little city. We don't need to get everybody out there. All right, we've talked about it. Send two, 3,000 guys out there. We'll take this thing, no sweat. And yeah, we've got it, okay? No problem. And Joshua says, okay. And so they go out against this little city of Ai and they get their tails whipped. 10%, a little bit more than 10% of the army 
dies. And they come back with their tail between their legs. And they're whining and they are mourning and weeping. Chapter 7, verse 10. The Lord said to Joshua, get up. And they're going, God, why didn't you you be there for us, Lord? The Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. And they have taken some of the devoted things they have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. So, Joshua, you need to root out the sin. And of course, they did lots and it fell upon Achan and his family. So Achan, what'd you do? Well, I saw this gold, I saw this tunic. You know, it's like I, I took it and I hid it in my, my tent. And the thing is, God judged Israel for the sin of Achan. Why? In 1 Corinthians, when Paul is dealing with the church of Corinth, they were allowing sin within the church. And Paul says a little sin, a little leaven, okay, a picture of sin, leavens the whole lump. Sin in a church, in the body of Christ, penetrates everything. Gossip, slander, division, disputes, Pride, unforgiveness, bitterness, and the list can go on of the things that are in the church today that poison a church and rob it of God's goodness and God's blessing because it's not dealt with. Jesus tells us we need to deal with sin within the body. We need to judge it and in doing so, we purify the body of Christ, we protect the body of Christ, and we help the person who is in sin get back in line with Christ. You know, in Corinth, you had a guy who was having sex with his stepmother, all right? And Paul's like, the pagans don't do this thing. And you guys are just like, hey, we love everybody here. We hear that a lot in churches today. Oh, we, we love everybody. We accept everybody as they are. Great, that's good. We need to do that, but we also need to address sin. And Paul says, I've already judged this, and you need to get them out if they're not going to repent. And they didn't repent, so the church in Corinth kicked them out, disfellowshiped them. Second Corinthians, the guy repents, and he comes back to the church, and he's like, I'm so sorry I've sinned, and I want to come back into fellowship, and I know what I've done is wrong, and I want to be right with the Lord, right with the body of Christ again, and I want to be plugged back in. And they're like, no, you can't do that. And Paul's like, he's repentant. That's the whole point of this thing. Okay, bring him in and love him and restore him. Oh, okay. You know, it's like, boy, we as as people and Christians can be kind of, I don't know how to say it. We're, we're, we're weird sometimes, right? Okay, okay, I'm going to judge it. All right, we'll now forgive them and, and restore them. Oh, okay. You know, this is the way it's supposed to work. We're supposed to get rid of the sin, get rid of the leaven in the church. God can't move the way he wants to if we are allowing sin within the camp. 
And so God says, hey, you got a problem here. But see, the thing is, if Joshua had sought the Lord again and sought his wisdom and his instruction, God would have said, no, no, you're not going into battle. We got a problem. We need to deal with it first. Then we'll go into battle. So if we're going to enter into the fullness of what God has for us, we have to always seek the counsel of God. What do you want to do? And so the sin was dealt with. And then Joshua's like, okay, God, what do you want us to do? I want you to take the entire army. Okay, not just a little bit of it, the whole army. And you're going to set up an ambush. And this is the battle plan. And I will deliver them into you, to you. And God says, don't be afraid. All right, we've got this. God gives them the victory. And so after Ai falls, God says, all right, now this spoil is all yours. All the rest is for you. You've put me first. Now I want you to enjoy the things of the land. Now the spoil is yours. If Achan had obeyed God, see, it was with Achan, it was rebellion. This whole issue was putting God first. But Achan put himself first. Achan disobeyed and rebelled against God, and he thought he could hide it from God and the people of God. Just like Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts, right? They lied to Peter, and they wanted to look good in the eyes of, of the church. And so um, Barnabas, he had a piece of land. He sold it, and he gave all the money to the church to help the poor within the body and so Ananias and Sapphira said, well, we got some property and yeah, let's, uh, let's sell it for this much and then tell everybody we gave everything, but we'll hold back some, okay? We'll look good. We'll make a bit of a profit and hey, everything's great. And Peter's like, Ananias, you've lied to God. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. And he gave him the opportunity to come clean. You know, it's like, did you sell it for this amount? Uh-huh. All right. And Boom. The Lord took him out right there. Sapphira comes in a little later. She doesn't know what happened with her husband. Sapphira, did you all sell the land for this much? Uh-huh. All right. Well, the ones who carried your husband out, they're going to carry you out now. Boom. She died. That's harsh. But the thing is, right from the get-go, sin was already trying to gain a foothold. And if people thought, man, I can lie, I can deceive, and God either doesn't know the difference or doesn't care, and I can do what I want. They just started this new life going into Canaan. Hey, I've just rebelled, I've disobeyed, and either God doesn't know or I can get away with it. And you get that attitude within the family of God, that's a real problem. When we have that idea, a lot of people think that because God doesn't drop the hammer on them for their sin, that he's basically winking at us saying, okay, well, in your case, we'll just, we'll just call it good, all right? No. He allows the opportunity to repent, but boy, if we don't take it, he will discipline. And so then they learn another lesson in chapter 9. The Gibeonites come because they're scared. And like, we don't want to, <laughs> we don't want to be wiped out. So they send uh, a group and they tell Joshua and the leaders of Israel, hey, we've come from a long way away. We're, we're way, 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 way. I mean, look at our shoes, look at our clothing, look at our food, it's crumbly bread. This was hot when it came out of the oven when we left. 
you know, yeah, and we, we just want to be a part of what God's doing here. We want to be a part of you guys. We really, really uh, want to like what, what we see happening, and, and we want to, want to be with you. So the, uh, the, the men of Israel say this in chapter 9, verse 7. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, okay, these people of Gibeon, perhaps you live among us. Then how can we make a covenant with you? Because God said you don't make a covenant with anybody in the land because they're going to take you down. How can we make a covenant with you? And they said to Joshua, we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you and where do you come from? And they said, from a very distant country. Your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard a report of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion, king of Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country said to us, take provisions in your hand for the journey and go meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Come now and make a covenant with us. And so Joshua says, okay. And if you go down to verse 14, it says, so the men took some of their provisions, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. How often do we do this? We kind of hit and miss it. We've got, we've got a Jericho. Okay, God, what do you want us to do? Do this. All right, we've got victory. Then we have an AI, something smaller. Oh, we got this. We can handle this. Boom. We just crash and burn. Okay, what do you want us to do now? Okay, and then... We've got it. And then we have, in this case, deception. Okay? It's subtler, all right, than straight on battle. It's deception. Oh, okay, we'll, we'll trust you. They should have asked the Lord because the Gibeonites became a problem. And now they've entered into this covenant and they've got to kind of control and rein in uh, this people group that, that shouldn't be there, okay? And, and, and it's a stumbling block. So they make the covenant and the, king of the, the kings of the Amorites, some of them, king of Jerusalem, chapter 10, gets five other kings and their territories and says, let's go after Gibeon because they made a covenant with Israel. And so Gibeon goes and says, hey, you made a covenant with us. And guess what? the kings of the Ammonites are coming after us. And you said you're going to protect us. Fortunately, Joshua says, okay, Lord, what do you want us to do? How do you want us to handle this? And God says in chapter 10, uh, verse 6, verse 8, I'm sorry. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them, for I have given them into your hand. Whew, I'm really glad he asked this time. Okay, so they went out and... So they go in and God says, I've given them into your hand. Now, here's the thing. As they're winning the battle against the Ammonites, the day is not giving them enough time to finish this battle. And so we see something happen here that is really bold on Joshua's part. He's looking at this battle. And it's like, we don't have enough time in the day to do this. And I want you to look at what's said here. This is chapter 10, verse 12. At that time, listen to how this works. Joshua spoke to the Lord 
in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, sun stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jashar? The sun stopped in the midst of the heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. Oh, they're doing their part, but God is fighting for them. And do you see what happens here? Joshua is assessing this situation and it says he talked to the Lord first and then said in the hearing of the people, son, stand still, moon, stand still. All right, so he's already had this dialogue and it makes me think of 1 John where it talks about whatever we ask according to the will of God, we have the confidence that he has heard us and he will give us what we've requested, okay? So Joshua is already talking with the Lord and out of that, he makes the command, all right? In the hearing of everybody, that takes a lot of guts to tell the earth to stop moving. Now, when, when I was younger, uh, there was a, a, people said in the church that this is proven because NASA had uh, done some calculations for the space program and all of that, and they found that there was a day missing. And has anybody ever heard that story? No, maybe, okay. Well, it was, it was you know, several years ago, it's like, oh yeah, it was an urban legend. But yeah, that's what happened when they were trying to get everything for, you know, how to get the, the you know, like the, the probes into space and stuff where they needed to go. They had to do all these calculations and say, hey, there's a day missing. Didn't happen. Okay. Now, here's the thing though. People say there's no way that this could have happened. Well, here's the thing. If your God is the God of the Bible who can do anything and everything and is the authority over all of creation, he can do whatever he wants. Well, won't people just go flying off the earth, you know, if God brings it to a stop? No. Look at it this way. If you're driving a car 100 miles an hour, all right, and uh, you're driving a car 100 miles an hour and you take one minute to come to a stop, are you really going to feel much of anything? No. Two minutes? No. The earth rotates at 1,000 miles an hour, all right? So if you multiply the time by 10, 10 minutes, you're not gonna feel much of anything. Multiply it by, you know, 20 minutes, or make it 20 minutes, you really won't feel anything. Now it's gonna whack out the season stuff, all right, if that happens, but you wouldn't feel anything. But here's the thing, there's a book, if you're ever interested in this, it's called Worlds in Collision by Emmanuel Velikovsky. Okay, and he was a contemporary and a friend of Albert Einstein. The two of them together established the Hebrew University in Israel. Uh, he was a psychologist and a psychiatrist, very smart man. And he was doing some research on some Egyptian texts and going, hey, there's some really crazy things that were happening in Egypt 
in this story, I wonder if there's other cultures around the world that corroborate with these stories. And guess what? As he began to research the history and the stories and the legends of nations throughout the world, China, uh, the Mayans, the Aztecs, you know, and, and all, all around the world, he's going, you know, at this particular time period, there's a similar thing going on all over the place. And he was not a Christian. He did not go into this looking to prove this at all. But in his research, he's looking at the Bible and he was not a, a practicing Jew either. And so he's looking at this thing and he's going, the Bible talks about this a lot. If there was an entire day when the day didn't, when the sun didn't go down, I think we should see that elsewhere. But it'd be a really long night. Yeah, we've got that on the other side of the globe. And on this side of the globe, we got a really long day. Why? And then it says that God wiped out a bunch of these people with hailstones from heaven. What's going on with that? Hey, the other cultures talk about these crazy atmospheric things going on too at this time. What's going on with that? And I won't get into it, but there's good evidence from looking at history that there was a comet or even possibly the planet Venus that actually came into a close orbit with the Earth and that the Earth passed through the tail of that and God was sending guided missiles all over the people of the Ammonites, wiping them out. And either pivoting and tilting, like, has anybody ever been north of the Arctic Circle? No? Okay, you have? Okay. So I've, I've done some time up, you know, in, in uh, the Soviet Union and, and Scandinavian stuff, not time like prison time, okay? But um, I've, I've done ministry and stuff up there. And boy, you're up there and it's like the sun does not set. And you're like, whoa, this is creepy. You know, you go to bed and you wake up and it's like nothing changes. Um, so you have that tilt on the axis. So it's like there's, the thought is that either it caused a shift in the axis to allow that time period or the gravitational pull was so strong from the passing planet that it actually slowed things down and then allowed it to kick in again. Maybe that's how God did it, maybe not, but there's some really good evidence for it. So God fights for them and God does the miraculous. And from this point on, okay, God divides up the land. Okay, everybody, this is your land. This is your property. This is what I've given you. This is for your people, your family, your tribe. This is yours. Go in and take it. And so they began to take it. And they move forward. And that's what happens through basically the rest of the book until we get to chapter 23 and 24. And we'll wrap up with this. Okay. In chapter 23, Joshua makes a charge to them. All right. And uh, I'll just uh, summarize it. But basically it's this. He says, be strong, verse 6, and to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand or to the left. This is what God told him at the very beginning of this whole thing, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them, but you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, 
No man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, um, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you. Yeah, you're, you're doing your part, but God's doing the work. You're just, you're just doing your little part with it. Just as he promised you, be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they will be a snare for you and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish of this good ground that the Lord has given you. Basically, gang, look, follow the Lord, don't compromise. You still got a lot of ground to take. Don't compromise. Don't stray from the word of the Lord. And in chapter four, the very famous passage, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This day, choose whom you will serve. And it all comes down to a choice. Just like the first generation of Israel had a choice to enter into the wonderful life that God had for them, and they chose not to. The second generation chose to and benefited greatly from it. So it is with the life that Christ has purchased for us on the cross. We can choose to enter into it or choose not to. God still loves us. He still saves us. He still cares about us. But we'll miss out on the rich, abundant life that Jesus provided for us on that cross. We'll either go, no, I'm not going to step in. Or we might be like Gad and Reuben in the half-tribe of Manasseh. And remember, they wanted to stay in that comfortable area on the east side of the Jordan. Eh, we don't want to go in. We're, we're, com we're comfortable here. Okay, we'll step in for a little bit and we'll help our brothers. You know, we'll do like a, a, a short-term missions trip or something like that. But then when it's done, I'm back out of my comfortable land. I don't want to really live here on the edge with the Lord. I just want to be comfortable. Let's not settle for less than God's best. If God has given us an abundant life in Jesus Christ for every sphere of life, and all we have to do is hold to the word and do what he tells us and he'll take care of the rest, let's do that. Let's choose that. Amen.